0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. We're looking at Romans 14 and part of chapter 15 for the next 3 weeks and uh a confession to make. I, I really thought as I was preparing this that I really thought this was something that you needed to hear. And the more I've looked at this, I realized that uh, I needed to hear this. And I need to grow in my love for the body of Christ. This is a hard passage. Spurgeon used to say, you're not ready to preach a text and not not when you've got a hold of the text, but when the text has gotten a hold of you. And I'm not so sure I ever fully got a hold of the text because this is like swallowing an elephant. These are huge and weighty matters that the church has been called to freedom. We've been called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Yeah, serve one another now in love. Well, we're going to be looking at these issues because they're so relevant. There's so much that could divide us right now as the body of Christ and as we see it all around us. Uh, Even our, our, our governor and our county executive are sending different messages and one is leaning towards freedom, one's leaning red, and one's leaning blue and leaning towards restrictions. And some are saying, I like Ehrlich, and some are saying, I like Hogan. And I'm not even speaking about the issues of politics that get on a national level are so big right now. And I think it's really important that we as the body uh, love one another deeply, even more than we love our own positions and our views. We should love each other more. One of the things I loved about Ravi Zacharias was hearing that his one of his mottos in life was to love the person asking the question more than he loved, you know, getting the right answer. He truly loved people, and he gave great answers. But you could tell he was really genuine, and he did it with such tact and decorum and respect that you that. I don't, I've never met anybody who didn't like him. What a great man. <clears throat> well, the book of Romans, for Paul has been laboring in this book, and when we get to chapter 14, the context, the big point of the book of Romans is, is one word, it's really the word righteousness. That word is used 40 times in the book, 40 how are you right before God? And where does you, your righteousness come from? How to achieve a right standing with God? Forty times about righteousness, That also forty times, over forty, well over forty, he talks about sin. We have this problem. We are sinful. Our family has a little joke, because there was one particular teacher that said to one of our children's friends, hey, you ain't got it. And so sometimes when someone's off in our family, one of us will say, well, you ain't got it. And it's kind of a humorous way of saying, you got to get right. Well, for three chapters in the book of Romans at the beginning, he's saying to the Gentiles, you ain't got it. But then he turns around to the Jews and says, you ain't got it. And then he says to all of humanity, to every person who's ever lived, you ain't got it. No one is righteous. No, not even one. You don't have it. Paul's conclusion, the first uh, conclusion in Romans 3.20 is by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from law, apart from Being good and performing, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption, the buying back that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, one who would turn God's wrath away by his blood to be received by faith, and it was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a point behind all this. For those of you here this week in and week out, the righteousness that you you need to save you from the wrath to come, this righteousness doesn't come from within. It's not your righteousness. You're not accepted by God, by what you do, by your deeds, by your merits. And it's contrary to just about everything else in life. Because everything about this area is you get into a magnet school by how smart you are. You get into certain colleges by your GPA and your SAT, and you get certain jobs and promotions based on your background and your degrees and your reputation and your achievements and your resume and your experience in this industry or trade. And all that's based on your ability to perform. And what Paul is saying is that's not how Christianity works. If you are looking to your righteousness, your performance, your pedigree, your resume in any way to be accepted by God, you ain't got it. Paul is saying that's your problem, not the answer. Because people were ignorant of the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own righteousness and they did not submit to Christ's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. And the answer is Jesus's righteousness. And that righteousness is something completely outside of you, it's given to you. When you by faith receive and you believe in his life, his perfect 33 years of obedient life, that's my righteousness. And then his death as a covering for my sins and that he gives me now what scripture calls a a robe of righteousness that I am accepted by Jesus. That's the great exchange at the cross. That's the foundation for acceptance before God. Why would I be hammering this home so much? Because we really don't get that. And what I mean by that is, we don't get the horizontal implications of that. We have to rethink that. This is the foundation for acceptance before God, it's the foundation for acceptance of one another. We accept one another and we are free in Christ because we all know we are filthy sinners in desperate need of grace and we ain't got it. We're all like lepers in a leper colony that now join together over our common condition and these lepers know they're not made any better by their food choices or their drinking choices or what days are important or what political party is in office or whether they like Donald Trump or not or whether they love him or they don't like him. We're not made clean in the sight of God, and that's not our basis for how we accept one another. We accept one another because we recognize that God accepts us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ is we believe what this book says about our condition what it says about God's righteousness, what Christ has done for us on a cross, and now how we are remade into his image by his Holy Spirit. So what if we really believed that? That we would see our fellowship on social media much deeper. And our posts and our personal opinions on disputable matters, we would think differently. For Paul, and Paul's day, the believers came from diverse backgrounds, just like today. Some were raised in Jewish homes, and they were of a Jewish ethnicity, and they strictly applied Jewish ceremonial laws and dietary laws, and their acceptance before God and who they had company with, who they ate with and welcomed was all based on those who believed the same things as they did. And then there was this other group called the Gentiles, which was another ethnicity, and they ate pork and meat, and they had no issues with food. It was sacrificed to an idol in the market or blessed at a meeting at a pagan temple. They just freely ate and drank. Now, both of these different ethnic people groups with radically different ethnic cultures and identities were being brought into one church, and Paul had to take them back to the foundation, which had nothing to do with being conservative or liberal in how they viewed these disputable matters. Because the church was about to split into the first church of the carnivores and the first church of the vegetarian teetotalers. And that wasn't going to work. And so if you have one church of Jewish Christians who are vegetarian and don't eat meat, and then you have another church of another ethnicity, the Gentiles who eat meat, what do you have you have two churches, that should be one church, and two churches that are becoming exclusive to their tribe, their opinions, their ways of doing things, and Paul was very concerned in his writings to demonstrate that Jews and Gentiles were now one in Christ, in reality and in practice, And that that oneness wasn't just in the big church, but in the local church expression. The local United Church was to demonstrate the power of the gospel by bringing these people groups together. And this is important for us as Shady Grove. We too can be divided by food and drink and days but also by strong opinions that culturally shaped by our ethnic background or upbringing, where we were raised, or if we were in the deep south or the north. And we forget about Jesus and justification. And we start viewing people rather than accepting them based on justification by Jesus of whether we agree with Hogan or whether we agree with Ehrlich or whether we're leaning left or leaning right or all these different types of views. And I think it's foolish. Somebody was telling me recently that there's an app you know, where you can just go through and if you have the app, anybody who's a supporter of Trump, you can just delete all those people. You can just get rid of them. Fellowship with them no more. What might God's Word say about that to us this morning? Well, this is what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 14, 1-12. As for the one who is weak in faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of of another? It's because his own master that he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Father, speak to each of us now, make this passage plain, clear, show us its relevance, where we need to be convicted, bring conviction and repentance. We ask for your help, O God, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of this message is, You're Welcome, reminds me of the workers at Chick-fil-A who've been trained to say all the time, if you say thank you to a Chick-fil-A worker after refilling a drink, or they bring out your food and you say thank you, and they say, my pleasure. Well, your welcome is similar. It's an expression of acceptance. It's an expression of your family. You're part of the table fellowship. You are received, accepted, welcomed, a part of the hospitality. Well, you're welcome... That's how the church is to love each other. That's how Jews were to receive and welcome Gentiles, and Gentiles were to receive Jews. You see, the bookends of 14.1 and 15.7 is where we're going. They each uh, have an imperative statement, these bookends. And then we've got the sandwich in between. But look at the imperative of these two verses. In 14.1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. That's the imperative but not to quarrel over opinions. You see, the imperative of 14.1 doesn't say, welcome him whom you have no quarrel over opinions. Welcome him who thinks like you. Welcome him who looks like you. Welcome him who is strong like you. Does it say that? No, it says, the imperative is actually to welcome him, you strong brother, you can, who can eat meat and drink wine to the glory of God. Welcome to the table the vegetarian and the one whose conscience is hurt by your meat and wine. Welcome him to the table too. Welcome the one who is different than you. And you might think to yourself, wouldn't it have been easier just to break into two churches? Wouldn't it be easier today to just say, Well, just let all the people who think this way, why don't they just go to this church and we who think this way, will go to this church and I read this week about a church that split over how to pray the Lord's Prayer and and the one wanted uh, transgressions and the others wanted debts and so the paper picked it up and said, well, the one went back to their transgressions and the other went back to their debts. Terrible, right? Well... The reason they're not to go into two churches is look at the second bookend. In, in fifteen five to 7, picking up in the middle of Romans fifteen five, Paul says, live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, together you, plural, may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So strong and weak, Jews, Gentiles, Together with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another. There's the imperative again. And both times it's rooted in, once again, the ground of how are we accepted? Because Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What's the chief end of man? Just rattles off for Presbyterians. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, how do you glorify God, practically speaking, in the body of Christ? And the answer here is you do it together. You may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what, So what Paul is saying is that when this particular uh, groups of Jews and Gentiles and those who have strong opinions about food and drink and other things, when they come together instead of splitting And they welcome one another and receive each other into table fellowship. And they're friends on Instagram and friends on Facebook. And these older, white-leaning conservatives and these younger, other-color-leaning blue liberals. And obviously, that's a stereotype. But when they come together, they bring more glory to God. And they're coming together than by being divided and going to two different churches. You see, I would say God is more glorified in diversity in that sense than unity. We should be against division. We should also be against uniformity. Think about that. This is hard for me to come to. If our uniformity hurts our brothers and sisters who are fully convinced on their, in their own minds about non-gospel issues, non-kingdom issues... The kingdom is not about eating and drinking. And this is a difficult passage because sometimes these kingdoms do intersect. But the kingdom of God is not the kingdom that you're seeing on TV. It's not the kingdom you're reading about on social media. And so we should not be trying, what Paul is saying is each should be fully convinced in his own mind, but accept one another who thinks differently than you. That's what love is. So the conclusion he starts with in verse 1 is to welcome one another, receive one another, have table fellowship. You're going to glorify God better. So we have four imperatives in this text, three questions, two theological underpinning arguments and one conclusion at the end. And the context is, is all goes back to Romans 12 about offering up our bodies as living sacrifices to God And then not returning evil for evil, overcoming evil with good, submitting to government authorities, and then loving one another, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and and putting off the flesh, and and sexual immorality, but also jealousy, and uh, as he ends chapter 13, uh, quarreling. We're to put those things away, and that enter chapter 14, put away the quarreling, Work on the welcoming. And so these two imperatives, the fir- well, the first imperative is to welcome them. Um, we addressed that. The strong were to welcome the weak. The weak in context were most likely Jewish converts who were weaker in conscience, who couldn't eat meat that had already been sacrificed to an idol. They felt like that was way too much like idol worship. They also still wanted to observe some holy days and had a hard time letting go of the ceremonial days altogether. And we'll come back to that. Then the next two imperatives are slightly different as the weak are being tempted in one way and the strong are being tempted in another way and they're each given an imperative. So let's take a look at verse 3. The strong is the one who eats, is not to despise, look down upon, show contempt, stick up your nose, the one who... And so I would say for us, the strong uh, today may not be eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol. It might just be how dare you drink soda pop or how dare you drink diet soda or corn syrup or, or, you know, some red dye or any type of junk food. And, you know, we would look down on the person who can, who can have a snack to the glory of God. And the other person, man, I can't do that. Well, how should you respond to that person? Um, and then the one who abstains is the one who, who, they're also given a command. The one who's weak is not to pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? Because the foundation is God has welcomed them. And how does God welcome us? Righteousness that comes from Jesus, not from us. And so if God has welcomed him, then we should welcome them. Otherwise, there's a disconnect in really our understanding of what justification really means. That justification is, I want you to justly conform to my image. There's a lot of pride that's being brought out in this passage. And it even says at the end of verse 4, you know, he'll be upheld and the Lord is able to make him stand. Like, the Lord is able to do this. You don't need to hold his hand and make him stand. He, he's okay in his, if these views that are on non-gospel issues, you don't have to hold them up. And so there's this problem. So the weaker being tempted to pass judgment, to be critical of those whose conscience freely overtook, And then the strong are showing contempt and despising those who aren't like them. Which do you struggle more with? I have to be honest that I struggle hard in response with judging those who might judge me. And looking down on those whom I perceive might look down on me. And my response can be pretty ugly in return. I struggle with both of these. The last imperative in verse 5 is in reference to days. One person esteems one day is better than another, and another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I don't think he's talking about the Sabbath. Now, there's some that think that's true, but I think we have a fourth commandment, and that's binding just as being made as image bearers of God. And before the fall, there was a Sabbath to keep. But some are convinced that, but I think it's more like There was a lot of the Jewish calendar, Jewish feast, and now they still want to celebrate some of these things that they used to do. And I would say for us, as you look at this, how might that apply to us? We have a lot more days than we think, and there is a lot of pressure sometimes on us as a church to conform to people's uh, perspective on holy days. What do I mean by that? Well, what would happen if we didn't say anything about Christmas, if we didn't say anything about Jesus' birth, and really had a special message about that? And what about Christmas Eve? If we didn't have a special Christmas Eve service. We'd be in trouble. What about Advent season? What if we don't have an Advent candle? We don't, we don't have people lighting that each week. What about the first Sunday of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, third Sunday of Advent? What if we just took those things away? There'd be emails. There would be conversations, for sure. What if we didn't celebrate Mother's Day? I mean, is there anything in the Bible about Mother's Day? Not a word. Yet, if you don't talk about Mother's Day, we have a lot of days. How about Father's Day? July 4th, if we don't say anything about our country? Memorial Day weekend, if we don't say anything about Memorial Day? Veterans Day? Sanctity of Life Human Sunday? Adoption Sunday? Persecuted Church Sunday? What about Lent? I mean, there's a lot here that we, that we actually wrestle with as a church. And we do many of these things because in context, we feel like we can preach the gospel better by becoming all things to all people to focus on, okay, it is this time when the church has talked about the resurrection with Easter. I think we'll, we'll, we'll go with that theme, even though the Puritans were like death on that kind of stuff. I mean, Calvin just preached straight through what he was preaching. They didn't see any special holy days. And I don't think we should fault them for that. And they certainly wouldn't have been talking about July 4th or Veterans Day. They would just stick to scriptures. But we talk about some of these things because we feel like they're relevant. And sometimes it's also to help people that might be offended otherwise. But we just, sometimes I don't think you should think that the pastors are in sin if they don't speak about your particular subject that you want talked about, if it isn't clearly in Scripture. And so, I would just say for us, um, we're each to be fully convinced in our own mind, but notice what the text says here. It says each is to be fully convinced in his own mind. It, it, It doesn't say that each is to fully convince the other, with your mind (laughs) it doesn't say that we're to be convinced in our own mind but it doesn't say that you're to convince everybody of your particular position because the kingdom of God is what he says in 1417 it's not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness joy and peace in the Holy Spirit so are these are non-gospel issues this is not foundational issues these aren't membership question kind of issues issues of importance, right? And so the weak and strong are both honoring the Lord. They're both in life and in death, they're both acknowledging that they live to the Lord, they die to the Lord, we are his, and Jesus is Lord over the dead and the living. And so in light of that, Paul has three questions in this text. In verse 10, he addresses both the weak and the strong. Um, And so in verse 10, the question is, why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? So those are two of the questions that are being asked in this text. And so, you know, those who can't imagine a, a brother or sister drinking a glass of wine or having a beer, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? I remember one time being at a wedding and there was another minister that did the wedding, and there was uh, wine and beer being offered at the reception, and I got a glass of wine. And this minister looked at me with just the unbelievable evil eye of just staring, like, couldn't believe that I had a glass of wine. And I just wanted to say, like, uh, Jesus' first miracle, he turned water into wine, and he didn't say, you know, the Bible doesn't condemn drunk. Didn't say that to people drinking grape juice. But I didn't say that. I just felt condemned, and so I was probably despising the brother in my heart. He addresses the strong when he says, you know, the one who freely eats meat or has the glass of wine or a beer. Why do you despise your brother? You see, both questions are addressing a lack of love, and both are forgetting something that's really important here, and that's, that's in verse 4, and then again in 10 to 12. But the question of verse 4 is, why do you pass judgment on the servant of another? You've got to follow Paul's logic here. He's saying it's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Uh, And he says, For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will have to give an account to God. What Paul is saying is that it would be wrong for you to judge another master's servant. Remember in that culture, work was often done in the home, a business would be done in the home and your employees would be your servants. And He's saying, For you to judge somebody else's servant, what is that to you? You just worry about your your own servant, is what he's saying. And how that servant responds to his master and what freedom he has in relation to to food, drink, or days, that's really none of your concern. You just have to worry about your own servant. That's the argument of verse 4. But then Paul turns around and he's saying the whole thing about we live to the Lord, we die to the Lord, we are the Lord's, is the Lord's the master. And what he's turning around and saying is, You don't have any servants. God is the master. We're all servants. So for you to judge somebody else, another servant, is to arrogantly take the place of God. And what Paul's saying is, Who do you think you are? Nobody's going to bow a knee to you at the last day. We'll all bow to him. We live to him. We die to him. He's the Lord, he's the master, he's the king. And so let each other live freely before God and let them answer to God, not to you. Quit being God and trying to be the master. It's a call to repent of passing judgment on those who enjoy their freedoms and for you to try to make your scruple the law for the church. What is it to you about how long somebody else's hair is? How many earrings they have? How many body piercings or tattoos or, or what movies they're allowed to watch or shouldn't watch or what TV shows or what apps they should have on their phone? God's the master and we're all servants. And so Paul is more concerned about not passing judgment or, or despising one another, and instead receiving and welcoming one another, that's actually more present pressing for Paul than your actual view of meat, drink, or days. Paul's saying, it's, it, he doesn't say, well, it's not important. He's saying you should be convinced in your own mind. And so, be convinced in your own mind, but it's okay if you don't convince everybody else's mind. That's the practical outworking of love that Paul is dressing, addressing in these chapters, is loving our neighbors as ourselves, getting out of the darkness, not, and part of that getting out of that darkness is putting away all quarreling and jealousy and not being conformed to this world. And the conforming of this world is a lot of things. It's a lot, and one of the things that I would say just looking at our culture is is it's either this way or that way. You're either all this or all that. And there's no nuancing that's taking place. And so if you're a particular news story or news agency, you push a, a certain story because everything has to prove your point this way or that way. And so often the truth is I might not fully agree with your, how you're addressing the problem but i like some i am some agreement with how you're addressing the problem but i don't necessarily agree with your conclusion or i may agree with some of your conclusions but i'm not exactly sure how you're addressing the problem and just because you agree with a solution or, or a problem that one side is posing doesn't mean that you buy the argument all the way through and and people just assume well if you think one thing you know you're you're off you're off the the rails And I think what happens when we do that is we're no longer saying to one another, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. The real question is, is Jesus your only hope? Do you love Jesus? You know, our membership questions, think about them. What do they say and what do they not say? To be a member of the body of Christ of which we have fellowship and we welcome one another, is do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? Are you willing to testify to that and agree to that? Yes. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the Gospel? Yes. Yes. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you'll endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? In my social media posts, in my conversations with people that I disagree with, yes. Do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? And I would just say to us as, as a body that as we think through these Romans 14 issues, I learned a lot this week by asking a, a question. And I, I was wondering, what have I done when I, I asked the question for people to respond? Um, what do what they like and what are they, um, you know, what, what excites them, what annoys them, and what resonates with them in Scripture? In some ways, it was kind of a dumb question, and somebody rightly corrected me to say, to think about what excites you when somebody was murdered is, is an awful way to start. Um, and, what I was, and I agree with that, Man, I accept that. What I was trying to get at is I, am, I would hope, one of the things that, it, that I see that is good that's coming out of this is I hope all of you at some point have been convicted of sin, Either the way that you've responded to somebody, the way that you've had a judgment that needed to be tweaked, the way that you've posted something. Everybody should have, if the Spirit of God's at work, you're going to be convicted somewhere along the way that the chink of some point of your armor has been chinked off through all of this. Some of the presuppositions that you've had, and even just asking that question and getting replies and people, uh, some of the ways that I thought, I thought that is a really good point and I hadn't thought about that. There was a lot of that by just listening to what people wrote to me, and I really appreciate many, and particularly ladies. There was mainly ladies that responded, and there were some very articulate responses, and very helpful. Um, All I would say is I hope that that's one of the good things that comes out of this, is that we will grow in our understanding that we'll be slower to speak, slower to become angry, quicker to listen, and really try to understand Uh, recognizing these are difficult issues, they're disputable opinions, but the the, the foundation is to welcome one another as we live out this purity and peace of we are the body of Christ. We have something different to show to the world, something that's beautiful, something that the world would look at the church and say, wow, look at how they, they love each other. Look at the beautiful way that they relate to one another. Look, they're not all just one people group. Look, they, 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 it, it transcends tribe and, and ethnicities, and, and it, it transcends income or white collar or blue collar. It transcends all of that. They have, they have something that is uniting them. What, what, what is that? What is drawing them together? I'd like to see more of that. Isn't that what we want to show off to the world? Because the world is trying all these different solutions. And we've been trying these things for a long time. And they haven't been working. But in Christ, we are one. And let's live that unity together and practice that. Love one another deeply. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for the shrinking of our hearts for jumping to conclusions before we really hear people out, for writing people off, unfriending people. Oh God, widen our hearts. Pray that they would be big. We pray that Lord Christ would be exalted and that you would be glorified by being together and not being apart. Use these words of Scripture to sanctify us, to make us more like you. And may we truly not return evil for evil. May we truly overcome evil with good today. And we do pray that you would help us as we seek to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.